I'm Jeannie Phillips and welcome to the 21st Century Classroom. We're here to talk books for educators, by educators, and with educators. Today I'm with Peter Langella and we'll be talking about Check, Please, a graphic novel by Ngozi Ukazu. I hope I'm saying that right. Thanks for joining me, Peter. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thanks for having me, Jeannie. I'm a librarian at Champlain Valley Union High School. I'm also an English teacher. And I'm really lucky here that I get to continue to teach and facilitate English experiences, even in my library role. This semester, as we're talking, I'm co-teaching a creative writing workshop class that's modeled off of graduate level writing workshops. Um, my background is in writing. I received an MFA in writing from Vermont College of Fine Arts, where I focused on children's and young adult literature. And so I like that here at my job, I get to um, play in this balance between the written word and have students read it and see the reactions and facilitate and, and cultivate a, a love of reading. And I, I really, I really um, prescribe to the idea that we need to create students who love reading before we can ever get to the point where we create literary analysts and all the other things that uh, we try to make them do. Am I remembering correctly that you're a former member of the Green Mountain Book Award Committee? Yes. Yeah. I served on the committee for a few years, um, and I really enjoyed that experience. It was a lot of reading, but I enjoyed the discussions as we tried to select books that we thought our students would really relate to. And I think I'm also right that you're a 2017 Roland Fellow? <laughs> yes. Thanks for the prompt. I'm part of the 2017 cohort. I'm now in the middle of my second year in the Roland Fellow experience. And my work here at CVU in that capacity revolves around creating more space for interest-based learning and also investigating how we can change our daily, weekly, and yearly schedules to allow for uh, more student choice. Great, thanks, Peter. When I reached out to you uh, with the suggestion that you join me on the podcast, I, I encouraged you to uh, point me towards any book knowing that you're someone who steeps yourself in adolescent literature for adolescents, for young adolescents. Um, and so uh, you chose, check please, book number one, hockey, should say hashtag hockey. And um, I promptly got a copy and was delighted. So I'd like to invite you um, to tell us a little bit about Check, Please, uh, who the main characters are, where it's set. Yeah. So before I, before I do that, I'll just say um, another little bit about my history, which directly relates to why I chose this book and why I love this book so much, is that I spent my whole life growing up playing sports. Uh, the sport I concentrated the most on was hockey. I was a college hockey player. I played in uh, the minor pro leagues in the New York Rangers organization. And then I did some coaching as well. Um, after that finished, I coached at some prep school, a uh, prep school team in Massachusetts. And also I was the assistant men's coach at Williams College in Williamstown, Mass. And so I have this deep love of hockey, but I also kind of have this, this um, deep critical eye for hockey as well, because unfortunately, in my personal experience, I think a lot of the negative stereotypes that, that are talked about in a sport like hockey are, are in fact true. And so Check, Please by Ngozi Ukazu is about a um, first-year college student named Eric Biddy Biddle, Biddy, uh, B-I-T-T-Y being his nickname that most people call him by. And he's a former uh, junior figure skating champion from Georgia who is recruited because of his uh, speed and finesse to play on a, college, a fictional college hockey team 
in Massachusetts at a place called Samwell University. And Biddy is um, small, he's from the South, and he loves to bake pies. And um, everything about him means that he's going to immediately clash with these teammates who, at first glance, seem to be fully um, entrenched in the so-called bro culture that, that can exist on a, on, a, on a team, like a college hockey team. And um, the story really gets started when Biddy starts baking pies and um, the reactions from his teammate are not what we might expect. And all of the stereotypes and all of the, the norms that we thought we knew about, about this cast of characters starts being, starts being flipped. And when I first started reading, I, 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 just, I just couldn't stop. And I, I had to know more about, about, about all these guys. It does seem that Biddy is an unlikely uh, hockey hero. He's, um, like you said, small. He hates physical contact. He does not want to be checked. And he cares about it, things like interior design. Um, he has a, a video log, a vlog, where he talks a lot about um, all of the fashion and um, baking and his life. And right. it makes him really compelling. Yeah, his vlog is almost as if he had his own uh, HGTV or Food Network show or, or something like that. And um, it, really, it really intrigued me because I often felt... Um, as a hockey player who had a more academic side, clearly going into things like writing and libraries, um, that I wasn't really able to be my true self um, because of the culture. And so I was so intrigued that here is this character that, that was able to do that, or at least was trying to. And, um, and, and without giving too much away, we find that most of his teammates are, are very receptive um, to, to accept him as, as his you know, full self. Could you talk a little bit about um, graphic novels are really interesting because they combine both text and images in really interesting ways to tell a story. I wonder if you could tell a little bit about this graphic novel and how the images and text work together. So one of the first things I think about is um, the expressions of the eyes of all of the different characters. And so, um, for example, one of the other main characters who's the, who's the captain of the hockey team is... Uh, his name is uh, Jack Zimmerman, and Jack has these um, kind of um, raindrop, teardrop-looking bright blue eyes, whereas Biddy has um, these these elongated, um, vertical, dark eyes, and um, both of them are very expressive, as are the eyes of many of the other characters. And and so, as soon as you flip the page, before you've even taken in the rest of the images or or the the, either the descriptive bubbles or the speaking bubbles in these graphic novel um, um, segments, you see the eyes on the page and you immediately know the emotions of the characters. And, and that's something that um, an artist like Ingozi Ukazu has, has an advantage over someone who's just writing prose, is that the pictures and the words can play off of each other and, and help the, the reader get a fuller picture. Going even farther than that, um, it allows different um, readers at different readiness or, or interest levels to access the text in different ways. And so, some people may be maybe understanding the words, but but not quite getting the images. Maybe you have trouble reading emotion, and maybe you, you don't see that emotion in the eyes, like I just described. But um, there's still something for you to access. And then once you you get into it and you become a fluent reader with graphic novels, I feel like 
that that inference and that interplay between the, the words and images uh, can can be really powerful. But in this particular book, the the emotion of the eyes is is really what I think I would I would clue in on right away, and and it's even visible on the on the cover. Um, you see the different eyes of the different characters and the different emotion that the, that those eyes are, are just really projecting out at us with. I love that, and that the um, I have also noticed the chins on these uh, hockey bros, as you call them. There all have such strong jaw lines. I think it's not giving anything away. I think we know as a reader from the beginning of the book that Pity is also gay. That this is in fact a coming out story as well. Yes, I right. I didn't want to. Uh, have have a spoiler alert, but since you're the host and you did it, that's fine. We can go there. Um, he is gay, and his teammates and his friends are are very accepting of him coming out. Um, and in a way where it's it's not the reaction that you might expect at all. Even in um, when I was when I was first reading the coming out scene. I knew because the characters were developed in a way, uh, in, in, a, in a great way already, that I knew that they would be accepting, but it even goes farther than that. They they want to all of a sudden facilitate dates for him, and they want to find out exactly what type of guys he's interested in, and they, um, it, it just takes, it takes um, anything that you think might happen, it does the opposite, and it takes it to a, to a whole new level. Uh, one of the things I really appreciated about this um, book is that the, char- that the characters were okay when Biddy comes out because I have a son that's Biddy's age in the book. And um, I think this book is representative of this current generation who, that for whom that is often not a huge issue. And it doesn't mean that um, homophobia doesn't sometimes still get in the way for young people, but they, it's completely different than we remember it from when we were young. I think that's true. Um... I definitely maybe maybe what I described about the way that um, the storyline was was flipped in my mind had something to do with um, remembering people who came out, especially people who were doing so-called masculine activities that that maybe felt like it wouldn't be accepted if if they if they spoke up about um, their their um, you know you know sexual identity. Um, so I, I think that's absolutely right, and um, I do think that. The other thing I like about the, the coming out thread is that while it definitely is a main storyline through um, especially the first half of the book, it's not it's not really the climax. The, the book really is about Biddy um, getting to the place where he can both be, um, become empowered on, on the ice and find his place on the ice and then also find his place at the, at the college. And, and that has something to do with more than just him, him coming out. And, and I always like that as well. I've had many, many um, students on the queer spectrum over the past few years talk about while there are more and more books that do this, they, they often want a book that is not just about coming out and, and um, where that can be seen as something that a gay character may do, and then that happens here, but that there is so much more to the storyline. I love that. And I see in this book um, that uh, Ngozi Ukazu has really embraced the full humanity of all of the characters. There are diverse characters in lots of different ways, um, whether it's um, racial or ethnic identity, um, 
their height, their size, their um, inclinations and interests. And I really love that she um, sees them, and, and athletes, that she sees them as whole people with diverse interests and um, important relationships in their lives. Mm-hmm. Another, yeah, on that thread, there's, um, there's an African-American player on the team. And that's something that you don't see on, on many hockey teams. Um, it's, a, it's a sport that is mostly played in northern affluent communities, um, places that don't necessarily lend themselves to racial diversity and um, to have an African-American hockey player as part of the core um, core group of, of athletes and friends for, for Biddy immediately at the beginning of the story was, was uh, a, a great touch that um, the author included. And, and maybe then part that's because the author and illustrator, the artist who's created this is also not what you would expect from um, a graphic novelist writing about hockey bros in Massachusetts. Right. Can you talk about who Ngozi Ukazu is? Yeah, so Ngozi Ukazu is um, an African-American woman, and she went to Yale, and she um, happened to be there at a time when the Yale men's ice hockey team was very, very good, the best they've ever been in their, in, in their the team's history, and she was really intrigued by the fan support that, that this team had. Um, she was really um, intrigued by the relationship that the players had and the rivalries the players had with other sports teams on campus. She was intrigued by the the deference paid to these athletes. And she really started this comic as a a webcomic online as a way to investigate her own personal thoughts about um, what all that meant and what that environment meant that she she found herself immersed in. And so she created Biddy as a, as a way to shake up that environment and, and almost as a, as a thought experiment of what would happen if this were true, if someone like Biddy actually played on the Yale hockey team on the campus where she was studying. And what's so cool about it is that Biddy doesn't exist on, on the Yale hockey team and, and, and maybe never, never will, right? Like it's, it's, it's not, we're imagining a world that, that isn't, quite there yet. So, so while we do have things like, yes, I I do think it's accurate that today's teenagers are more accepting of someone coming out today's college hockey players or even high school hockey players probably would not be that accepting of a former figure skater from the South who bakes pies. And so, um, the author and illustrator created this, this amazing catalyst to explore how people could react And, and and it sets up a vision for, a more inclusive sports world that that I personally would would lo- love us to get to, and, and I know many people would, but but I don't know if we're we're quite there yet. Right. How are your students responding to this book? The students who have immediately run to this book and most enjoyed it right from the start are students who know about the finer details. There's students who enjoy books that have queer characters and they know about Biddy coming out. There's students who love graphic novels and, and really try to read as many of our new graphic novels as possible. Or there are students who know about the 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 whole story and and the the mashup of all these ideas and, and Biddy serving as a catalyst to to um 
have a, you know be be almost a, a lens for a satirical look at, at the bro culture and the college hockey culture and, and everything that that we've been talking about. The students who have been a little more apprehensive are some of the students who I would really like to read this book because I think this book could serve as a, a gateway for them. I sometimes refer to books as gateway books because I think that they can um, take an emerging reader who maybe isn't ready to leave their comfort zone of the of the books that they traditionally like and go to something that might be a little more complex or feature themes that might be a little more complex um, for, for them to investigate. So, for example, there are some readers who only read sports books. That would be something that they would self-proclaim, and it's really hard to get them to read anything else um, other than a sports book. But this is a sports book in a way. We mentioned the captain, Jack Zimmerman, earlier that has the, the bright blue eyes, and he is a hockey superstar. He is someone who um, is the son of a former Stanley Cup champion, and he himself might go on to become a, a, a National Hockey League star after he finishes college. And there are description of, of him, uh, descriptions and depictions of him scoring amazing goals and having really intense hockey hockey sequences. And so this is this is a book that those sports lovers could could really latch onto as having amazing hockey scenes. And then the reason I call it a gateway book is because then they would also have to investigate all of the the themes that are being brought up with the coming out story, with the non-traditional hockey player, with the the first glance bros uh, deconstructing their own bro culture and, and making fun of it as, as it goes. And so I would love um, some more of those students to, to see this book and, and um, be forced through reading it to think about their own views and their own actions and, and um, think about whether or not they too like this future world that, that might exist where, where this story could um, actually play out on a real college hockey team and not just on a fictional one. How do you think your hockey bro high school self would have responded to a book like this? I actually think I would have loved it. Maybe not quite as much as I do now because I didn't even necessarily have the vocabulary to properly know that I was looking for something like this, but I definitely was was questioning a lot of what was going on. I, I um, knew that there was a problem with the culture of my hockey teams, even if I didn't know exactly what that what that problem was. I was looking for something else that that no one gave me. I, any anything that I was able to to find to to break holes in that culture. It, it was it was self discovery. It was it was something that I would come across on my own or some realization that I would make on my own. Whereas a book like this could have really opened a door for me, and and I think it could open doors for a lot of our students. I hope that. So I'm also a librarian, and I'm quite certain you've heard this next question I'm going to ask you, because I've heard it a lot um, from different adults, mostly adults. Um, what do you say when people say, reading a graphic novel isn't really reading? Yeah, I say that they maybe have never read some of these great graphic novels that we've read, because if they had, they would know that that's not true. I was talking earlier about the interplay between the words and text. And um, in some ways, because of that interplay, 
graphic novels are actually a more difficult reading experience for students because in order to get the entire story, both with the character development and the plot, you need the words and the pictures. And if you're only accessing one of those, you're only getting part of the story. And in order for a teenager, say, to take in all of the words, all of the pictures, make the inferences that exist, or make the inferences needed to connect, connect those, and also to fill in the gaps between the the um, gutters on the page. You know, a gutter is the, the story stops, the frame changes, the chapter changes something, and um, the transitions can be a lot more stark than they than they are in, in, a, in descriptive writing. And being able to do all that in your mind is a, it's a really high-level reading skill. I'm not sure my son would have learned to read if it weren't for Calvin and Hobbes. I have a great fondness for graphic novels in that they serve as a tremendous bridge, especially I found for boys or for reluctant readers who, um, um, who, who maybe um, need a little extra something, whether it's Calvin and Hobbes or the Bone Books or some other um, graphic novel that really appeals to them. No, I, I agree, and that's... that's this door opening that I, I talked about for, for hockey players or, or any any um, teenager who is, is looking for a more you know, action-based experience, um, graphic novels can, can really open that door in a way that is not easier. And I, th- I think that's part of the mistake that some educators might make is they think that because these reluctant or, or, or emerging readers are willing to try them, that it must be easier. I think we're not giving those students enough credit and that it's not easier, but it is accessible because you can do half of the work by just looking at the pictures. But then what it does is it it helps those students realize that, oh, I need to take in the words to get this whole story. And, and um, so I guess the access point might be easier easier being um, just that it's easier to look at a picture than it is to, to physically read, say, the first chapter of a novel, but not easier in that it's easier to comprehend the whole text. I think those pictures really um, give students some intrinsic motivation to decode the text, right? I, I agree, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so have you had any teachers here at CDU use graphic novels with students? We have had some teachers use graphic novels. Um, they've mostly, though, been in a real um, analytical way. And so we haven't really had teachers use graphic novels in a way that allows students to investigate their own thoughts about the reading experience. So I've been trying to institute more choice and theme-based reading units here, and I've had had a little bit of success, but not as much as I'd like, where students are able to choose any any text, and then the unit or the lesson is designed in a way that all students can bring evidence from the the text they chose to the the discussion. So you could do a a unit on... um, identity or or race or culture or even something completely different like resilience and then students are able to read anything and then come and and be part of the discussions. But I found that many educators are also still requiring things like um, 
include a, a um, descriptive passage that has symbolism and imagery, and some of the graphic novels only have words when the characters are talking to each other. And all of that symbolism and imagery might be there, but they're in picture form. And, and so we're not allowing students. So, so some, some educators might say, sure, you could read a graphic novel, but the, the lesson and the unit is still not designed in a way that's completely inclusive of their, of their um, choices. So first, I just want to go back to the class you're describing that you teach. It just sounds so tremendously personalized, like where kids get to select the reading that is most um, relevant or resonant for them and then pursue whatever themes through that text. That just feels like the far right end of the personalized continuum. So I want to applaud that. I think that's wonderful. Um, But I hear what you're saying about how our instruction hasn't always kept pace with um, the the new formats for books that are out there, particularly for graphic novels. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, for example, um, and this, this relates to the question you asked about whether or not graphic novels are easier. And um, that's some of the only time when they're brought into a class is like, oh, we're reading Othello. And as a librarian, I'll be asked, can you find us the, you know, can you find us 10 copies of the the graphic version um, so that we can give those to our students who are at a lower reading level or something. And so so it's, it creates a whole narrative around the the, the comic, you know, the graphic format that is, that, that students even feel it a little bit like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take the easy way out and I'm going to, I'm going to read this, you know? Um, and then. Well, I, I just want to contribute to that, um, that thinking about Shakespeare in particular, because I have worked with ninth grade teachers in particular around um, Shakespeare, say Romeo and Juliet, for example, where they have read the play, but all students have also read the graphic novel. And the graphic novel, almost like seeing the play, helped make the play more understandable to them. And then the students created their own graphic novel versions of scenes from Shakespeare. And so um, I found that to be tremendously helpful with texts that are particularly challenging, not just for teenagers, but for us as adults, too. Shakespeare is not an easy read for most of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, the, the two times that I'm immediately thinking of were... Um, graphic novels have been have been used most effectively in class are in tandem with a social studies unit so a, so a combined humanities class where um, you're reading about a time period and then you're learning about a time period and then using the, the, the graphic novel to, to access that time period and so that's been done really well in the past by uh, we have a class about conflict and human behavior and they've used uh, the famous graphic novel mouse by Art Spiegelman um, some classes here might start using the March series by, by John Lewis and his collaborators um, to access the civil rights movement. I'm hoping that that goes. Um, I did also see um, a teacher who used Watchmen um, by uh, Alan Moore to um, investigate the way that filmmakers storyboard. So it was a, it was a literature and film class and um, as they were learning how to um, create films and learning about the storyboarding process, they were using the graphic novel version of Watchmen before they were accessing the movie as a as a lens uh, toward the storyboarding process, which I which I thought was um, you know 
a good way to use that. But um, as far as just being valued as something that can be read to um, enhance a person's own development as a reader, we're not quite there yet. I wonder about that as adults. Uh, many of us who work in schools, we're really good at school. And I think of myself, I'm a reader through and through. Um, and so for me, uh, graphic novels are not usually my first choice because they slow me down uh, and they make me read more slowly. And I'm kind of an avid reader. And then when I can slow myself down, I can really enjoy them. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, But they're not what I go for. And I wonder how much our... Um, bias against them is about our own um, preference for text. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't thought too much about that. Um, but I think, I think one of the, the, I'm going to take this in a teeny different direction because I think it relates, but I read an article where, um, I'm forgetting the, the illustrator's name, but they were basically making the case that we should stop using the term graphic novels and, and call these comics. And um, because all of them are not novels per se, there's, there's nonfiction, there's biographies, there's memoirs. And, but they were saying that the reason why people probably don't is that we've invented this term graphic novel to be, to be some, somehow equivalent to a, a novel. Right, because people probably thought the term comic was was um, you know too fluffy and 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 not deep enough, and I think that that relates to to that question because if we're trying to make them equivalent and and they aren't, they're a different experience. So I think when people are accessing them. And they have this in their mind that somehow this is supposed to be the same as, as reading fiction, they're going to be disappointed because it's a completely different mental and sensory experience. And so that I, I'm reminded of that article because it was this equivalency, it was a false equivalency that was set up by whoever created that term that has led to some of these questions that we're, we're discussing. That makes me, that's really helpful. Thank you for shifting the frame on that because I'm thinking now about my favorite, one of my very favorite memoirs of all memoirs is David Small's Stitches. It's such a powerful story of his um, childhood and, um, and not an easy one. And it's stuck, it sticks with me. I think about it upon occasion and um, it ranks right up there with any other memoir without any images as really powerful and intense and illuminating about somebody's life story. I appreciate that shift. I'm gonna think more about that. I wonder, um, have you ever worked with an art teacher uh, with graphic novels at all? Or? I actually haven't. Um, that's a great idea. I would, I would love to at some point. I wonder what art teachers, like I'm really curious about, there's so much great art. It's not just the text or the story. There's so much great art in these um, in this book in particular, and then in many of the graphic novels we've named already, and I wonder what it might look like for classroom teachers or librarians to collaborate with art teachers around um, sort of the visual literacy required to read the text or to create your own graphic novel. Mm -hmm. 
I've had I've um, helped students gather resources for independent projects where they've want they've been um, interested in creating their own if if not a full text uh, you know a few few panels or a chapter or a short story of a of a, of a, in, a in a graphic medium um, and that's been fun to to help them access their learning but it would be interesting to develop more of an intentional partnership with with the art department yeah excellent. So what other, uh, just aside from teaching, just you and I are both fans of reading for reading's sake outside of um, the regular curriculum, what are some other uh, favorite graphic novels? So one of my all-time favorite um, graphic novelists, I guess we can call him, is uh, Jean Luen Yang. And Jean Yang's most famous um, book was American Born Chinese, which came out in the mid-2000s. mid, mid um, 2000s. And it's, um, it's interesting that I really like that book because it relates to Czech Please in a way because it's really a satirical look at identity and stereotypes. And it's about um, a young Asian American who is feeling like he's not really Asian and he's not really American and he doesn't really know what that means. And everyone around him seems to have an idea about who he is and... Um, it's told in these three different storylines, kind of his everyday life, this other storyline that is based in Chinese folklore about a monkey king, and then a, a real overtly satirical look at the way um, Chinese Americans were, uh, and especially Chinese immigrants, have, have, um, have historically been perceived in, in this country. And it all leads toward an awakening of, of him being able to... to come to his own understanding finally of who, of who he is. And I think that that directly relates to, to Biddy being able to, to navigate this world of hockey culture and this New England uh, elite college campus and, and, and find his own path and, and be able to feel comfortable in his own skin. And so I, I really love Gene Yang's work. He has a, he has a few others. Um, I like, um, I really, really like um, a, a superhero series that's that's come over the last few years called the, the Ms. Marvel series by G. Willow Wilson. That's a pretty special series. I love Ms. Marvel too. Tell yeah. us about her. So Ms. Marvel, the setup is that the, the traditional Ms. Marvel in the in the world of Marvel Comics is is kind of your stereotypical blonde Amazon looking superhero. And what happens here is that um the story starts with uh, a main character named Kamala Khan, who is a teenage uh, female Muslim in Jersey City, New Jersey, and she's kind of she's kind of not really sure what her path in life is. She wants to to break away from her strict family, but she also cares about her family. So another one of these identity stories where she's not really sure what her path should be, and then as often happens in superhero stories, the powers for Miss Marvel, Ms. Marvel, are transformed. Um, in a way that that Kamala Khan is able to take on the persona of of this uh, superhero, and so she then not only has to navigate this this world between like modern teenager in a metropolis that is the, you know the New York New Jersey metro area, but and, and her in her traditional family, but now also being a superhero at the same time and and fighting you know the the, the never ending battle for good and evil, and um, it's it's really a fascinating look at, at all of that. Uh, through the lens of a, of a superhero story. So that's that's been one of my favorites over the last few years as well. And, and many of our students have, have really loved that. 
Yeah, my students at Green Mountain really loved that one too. It's so playful and yet um, powerful at the same time. I love when she's trying to figure out what her superhero costume will be. She has to make those tough choices. Right. right. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite recent ones um, that I read just maybe a month or so ago uh, is The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. Have you read that? I have, yeah. It's such a fairy tale of a graphic novel. I adored it um, and read it pretty much in a sitting um, about a prince who um, wants to wear dresses and, uh, and hires a dressmaker to come and make him dresses so he can go out incognito. It reminds me of um, some of the more recent fairy tale stories that have been created, like The Princess Bride or Stardust by Neil Gaiman, in that they're not retellings. You know, so many fairy tales are, are retellings, and, and there are several that, that kind of stand out as being so original yet so timeless at the same time. The world building is amazing, um, and it, it just sets up an entire universe that you could just imagine yourself living in, and um, it's really, that's, that one's really well done. The playfulness of The Prince and the Dressmaker reminds me of a graphic novel that was on the Green Mountain Book Awards list a couple years ago called Bandette that was about a, a French girl Robin Hood figure almost, right? Do you remember that one? I do, yeah. It's almost like uh, the, the thing that immediately comes to mind is the Oceans series of, of movies where often in these Oceans movies, they're, th they're thieves and Bandette is a thief, just like Robin Hood, but it, but it, is, it is kind of a stealing something so that the 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 so you know the, the bad people can't get it first uh, doing it do stealing something because it helps the the common good and um, yeah it's really playful those stories were originally i believe published in in belgium and it's uh from the french uh speaking part of belgium and so there's really a different sensibility to the to the whole story that's that's in a very um that, that that's just kind of from the 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 European um, thread of, of comics that have been created, which which do feel a little bit different than ours. Um, I guess the only the closest thing I could think of um, are some of the earlier American comics, like I'm, I'm thinking about the the um, Adam West Batman TV show that almost is is making fun of itself as it's going on with the really um, overt onomatopoeia and um, caricatures that happen and Bandette does some things like that but in a, a much more sophisticated way. Another thing that was really popular when I was in a library was anime. Kids who became really hooked to anime and would take out everything in a series. Do you find that to be true here too? Yes, I actually have a few students who are helping me develop our anime and manga collection and um, they're always sending me recommendations and I'm al I always feel behind but we have we have um, purchased quite a few over the last several years and um, that's a, that's a growing that's a growing trend and, and yeah students love to, to devour those to devour those books that seems like a great recommendation for our educator listeners folks if you want to know what graphic novel you should be reading ask your ask the people the kids in your class ask young people what they're reading and try it out, especially if you haven't read graphic novels before. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. That's that's how I stay up on it, really, um, especially with the anime and, and the manga, which are, are a little harder to find uh, reviews and recommendations in, in kind of the standard publications or, or places on the internet.
So um, uh, you told me some news as I arrived here at uh, Champlain Valley Union High School, um, which was that um, the Morris Award uh, nominees have just been named. Do you want to share that with our listeners? Yeah, so the Morris Award is um, an award with YALSA, the Young Adult Library Services Association, and it's for the best books of the year by debut authors. And so check please, um, hashtag hockey in this form, even though it started on the web, is Ngozi Ukazu's first uh, printed publication. And so this was named one of the um, five uh, best debuts of 2018 by yeah. uh, Yelsa. That's an enormous honor. Last year, I happened to be um, at the Morris Award presentation and got to see Angie Thomas um, receive her award for uh, The Hate You Give and to see the other nominees. And it's a tremendous honor for her to receive, um, to be a Morris Award finalist. I wish her well. Yeah, and I think, I'm, I'm not completely sure on this, but I think that this is the first uh, comic graphic novel that has ever been a finalist for for the Morris Award, which oh. is quite an accomplishment. Um, and one of the things that was cited when I quickly, it, it just, the, the, those awards just came out and um, the, the, the nominee list for the finalists. And one of the things that it's it cited is something we haven't talked about yet, which is the, the metacognitive um, approach to, to writing this. And, 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 and it appears um, somewhat in this print version, but it definitely appears online in that in between the, the different um, chapters of the comic, there are these interludes where several of the characters talk about hockey terms to introduce the sport in a really fun way to people who might not be that familiar with the vocabulary. And there's um, a Twitter account that belongs to, to Biddy, the main character. And while the webcomic was first coming out, the, the Twitter account was was really active. And, and many of the tweets are, are um, added as a... As kind of an addendum to the, to the print form here. And it and it's amazing because the Twitter account is exactly how a, a real Twitter account would be. There's this string of tweets, you know, all in a row that are, that are maybe really concentrated on one particular issue or um, an event that's happening. And then there, there might be weeks at a time where there's, there's no tweets and, um, and it, it's just the, 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 the meta aspect of that is, is just something that, um, really is, is quite rare in, in books. It's also just wicked fun for the reader, right? I loved the end of the book where you read Biddy's Twitter feed. I found it endlessly entertaining. I was laughing out loud and it mm -hmm. felt just truly authentic. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it, the, the, the author has, has just been able to, to create um, an entire world for these characters to, ex to exist in, which... Um, people love right you love to be a fan of something that you can you can fully immerse yourself in. that's why people love harry potter and now there's theme parks and potter more where there's more stories and the universe just keeps expanding and i i'm i don't think there will ever be a check please theme park but if there is i would probably be there the first day <laughs> it's true she does build a world much like tolkien or jk rowling mm -hmm. right that you really want to immerse yourself in yeah so one thing that's important to know is that we, we mentioned how this started as a webcomic. It still is a webcomic. And so interested readers can move on from the story, move, move forward with the story now um, online. And so this first book captures 
Biddy's first and second year at Samuel University, but online, we're actually now in the middle of year four. So all of year three is there, and now year four has begun and is, is moving towards some really interesting places. Um, and it's really neat because the story also continues on with some of the characters from this first book who have graduated from Samwell, and we actually see them in the non-Samwell environment uh, out in the world, which is, uh, which is really exciting and cool. I think what appeals to me about that as a librarian, as an educator, is that um, we get to encourage kids to read in different formats. And um, sometimes adults, I think we're behind the curve. We may read on our Kindle, right? But we're not sort of, a lot of our students are reading Harry Potter fan fiction online. Right. Um, and so this will not seem as strange to them to go online and continue the series not there. A, yeah, not at all. This The, the webcomic really started for Check, Please in the world of Tumblr, uh, which is a world that I really don't know that that well, have, have, have um, waded into a few times, Check, Please being one of them that made me wait a little deeper. But um, many of our students um, spend a lot of time in, in these various online worlds when they're not in school. And, and um, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of great work happening there. Right. And it's great to give them something um, really meaningful to dig into in that world, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other recommendations for our listeners of where they might find uh, great comics or graphic novels to read or thing, other reading that you might suggest? Yeah, so a really great resource is actually the, the publisher's website for the publisher of Check, Please. It's called First Second. Um, it's either a symbol of like a clock with one second left on, the, on, the, on a digital clock or just the words First Second. And First Second also has published all of uh, Gene Yang's books, the, the author and illustrator I mentioned before. But on the First Second website... Um, they have amazing resources from their whole backlist, and they but they also have resources for um, integrating graphic novels into into school curriculums, um, which I which I think is really great. There, um, I would recommend just um, YA book blogs. There's there's many great ones. There's Teen Reads, Epic Reads, um, Fierce Reads. I think that those often give you a more authentic view than a review journal might. A review journal is often quite static. It's one person's perspective on a book and they kind of end with, with um, their, their take and that could make or break that book on whether you know a school or library wants to buy it and, and have their students read it. But the, I, I think a lot of the websites have, um, many times they have teen bloggers, many times they have, or, or near teen bloggers, you know, college students who are interning and things, and there's more of a back and forth. Um, those, those are going to be, you know, put out on social media and they're going to be um, used as, um, you know, uh, allowed for more back and forth with, with the actual reader base and fan base. Um, and um, Goodreads also is a, is a great place to, to go and get recommendations too. I'll make sure to put some links in our transcript so you can access those resources that Peter has shared. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk graphic novels. You know so much more than I do about this media, and um, thanks for sharing your expertise and and for introducing me to Biddy. I just love him. Yeah, I do too. Thank you, Jeannie. This was great. It was a pleasure. (laughs) 
I'm Jeannie Phillips, and this has been an episode of the 21st Century Classroom. Thank you to Peter Langella for appearing on the show and talking with me about Check, Please. If you're looking for a copy of Check, Please, check your local library. To find out more about the 21st Century Classroom, including past episodes, upcoming guests and reads, and a whole lot more, you can visit tarrantinstitute.org. This podcast is a project of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont.